Professor Dalbert and Tim Nebraska. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of the program, making his fortnightly appearance. It's his fortnightly appearance. Former Pirates beat writer for the Pittsburgh Tribune Review and also the author of Big Data Baseball. He's currently a contributor to Fangraphs.com. It's the prolific Travis Sochik. Prolific Travis Sochik. Now, this edition of the program, as he does every two weeks, Sochik both comments and expands upon his work for the electronic pages. A particular note here, in the last two weeks, Sawchuk has docked to both J.D. Martinez and Jose Bautista. Necessity has compelled both those players to invent a new approach to their swings, if not other parts of their game. Uh, Sawchuk not only to expand upon his interactions with those players, but also to further develop his interest in stories of players taking unconventional routes to excellence. That occupies much of our time. However, we also discuss the horrors of pitcher attrition, in particular with regard to the Atlanta Braves. We develop in real time a metric, a very hypothetical metric for evaluating agents, player agents, and how much money they're able to secure for their clients. And we also reserve a little bit of time for Travis Sochek to discuss ichthyology. That is, ichthyology. The fish swimming in the opposite direction of the school is interesting. Why is he doing that? More maritime scholarship and what's to follow. And it's all beginning momentarily. What is it? It is Fangraphs Audio. Who does it feature? The prolific Travis Sochek. When does it begin? Right now. Doing well. Uh, I'm in Florida, which is which is a nice a nice place to be in in March. Dateline, uh, Dateline Bradenton. I'm using Datelines Bradenton. Yes. Dayline Braden, and, and uh, first of all, uh, this may or may not be the first use of a Dateline at Fangraphs.com. It might not be, but you've used it now, I think, on at least two of your pieces the last couple of days. I have, and, and you've allowed them to be published, which I which, Well, which, I think it's, it, it's, there's something quite thrilling about it, you know, because um, I understand that uh, online journalism has, uh, you know, summarily – gutted uh print journalism right um but there's something about print journalism that seems august and um, uh, possesses gravitas that uh, <laughs> online journalism is not and i've only ever belonged to the online version the cheap ugly online version now you now you've <laughs> i've joined you <laughs> you joined yeah you joined but you've had your you've dipped all of your toes into print journalism and now you're on the other side um so so you have so you are able to use the dateline and i should clarify a dateline and i did not know this prior to i think yesterday but when one reads in the newspaper when, when you when one sees the place from which the article has been written or the, you know the place of which the author has written the article that that is known as the dateline i believe yes that is that's is correct now do now when you were writing for the trib would you write out your own Dateline? I would. I actually found some pleasure in doing so. Uh, <laughs> this is where I am. History will note that I was here on this day, and mm-hmm. uh, in case it's missed in the story. And also, you know, ho- hopefully David Appleman will reimburse me for being down here. And uh, yeah, we should. That's a good show. point. <laughs> we That's a good sh- point. You can you can bring that, <laughs> and also maybe you could bring those pieces in uh, for when you're doing your taxes next year. Yes, let's remind people that we have some boots on the ground in Florida, and we're. Mm-hmm. We're not just stat boys. We're also we're doing some real reporting down here. Well, you we're are talking to yeah. people. Yeah, you are. Do, you're doing it, and of course, I think David Lorela has taken a trip, and uh, maybe you know, Saris is in Arizona as well. Yeah, so we're. I think there's three of us out and about, causing okay, so, mayhem, right? Uh, making people uncomfortable. But you have, <laughs> of course, you, uh, you know, I um, I'm humbled by your. Well, I don't know if I'm humbled by. I'm intimidated by maybe your. Uh, um, your your sense of ease, the sense of ease with which you you deal with these matters in terms of integrating the personal accounts of uh, players, coaches, front office members, and also some of the people in, on the fringes of the game, the experimental fringes of the game, like a, a hitting coach like Doug Lada or Lada or Lada. Yes, Doug. Old Doug, you integrate good, good his, guy. Yeah, and you, you you do a good job of integrating his voice. Um, into, oh, well, thank you. Well, thank yeah, you. into pieces that um, that of course 
are supported by um, the the um, by quantitative analysis, objective uh, objective fact, evidence, etc. So you do you do a great job integrating them. Thank you. That's uh, I've always enjoyed doing that. So I did some of that in the newspaper world. Uh, I can do more of it here, and I guess we're all intimidated by different things. Um, I'm intimidated by things uh, Zimmerman can do, and Sean, some of the the magic data pools they do. So and, uh, that, that that intimidates me. But, maybe uh, bears too. Intimidated yes, by bears? I am. Okay, I am. So we're all intimidated by something. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. You must. By more things than others. Um, here is one. Here's here is. If, if, let me now listen. Uh, in some cases, what I'd like to do with FanGraphs Audio is to use it as a sort of. Uh, you know, if you have a DVD of a of a movie, there's always a special feature where you can listen to commentary by the director or or some key actors. Um, sure. Com- commentary. This is a commentary track, right? And uh, I sometimes like to use Fangraphs Audio like that, so we can uh, look at an article or a set of articles. And I have, I have here, I have the author, and I say what I can essentially ask: What were you thinking? What, what, what were your intentions for doing that? But I would like to ask you a question that applies, and that's why it's. Uh, I think it's a question that has some value, not a lot of value, probably. Very few of, of the questions I ask do, but one um, oh, I have. I noticed, disagree. Yeah, I've noticed a. I have noticed a theme. In many of your pursuits. Ah. And ah. <laughs> Are you unlocking my secrets? No, I know, but no, this is something that's uh, deep, deep and uh, and unique to you. Um, at least your ability both to ask the relevant questions and then uh, deliver upon them. But and I, and my and my guess is like in in some at some level you might identify strongly with someone like. Jose Bautista or J.D. Martinez. You identify at some level. You identify these these folks, these players, who they're on the short. They're on they're on the the noble side of a particular battle. Right? <laughs> no, 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 but not, but not. Yes, not, I like where you're going with this. Yes, continue. They, <laughs> well, but they're not um, they're not necessarily full themselves, but they essentially they are on they're under um so 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 they're un- they're underdogs at, at some level, right? Jose Bautista is an underdog because um he, he well he's of the opinion he's gonna have a great season and he thinks a lot of it will be because he has taken certain preparations, some very which you which you chronicle, um, preparations to defy age. Right? He's defying age. Age is an impediment between him and the, the thing he wants. Right. JD Martinez, JD Martinez is an interesting player because he for you, he feels deceived at some level. He feels as though, and now of course he identified this deception and he's transcended it. Um, but for years, uh, by his own account, uh, again com- communicated by you, re- relayed by you, um, for years he was told to hit a line drive up the middle, and then he had a bit of an epiphany. And he said, "Well, I hit, if the if the best outcome is a single, then why am I doing it?" That's right. So, so Martinez felt, I think, felt aggrieved to some to some degree. He did. But the, but both he and Bautista are utilizing ideas which allow them to to transcend or overcome their obstacles. That seems to be a theme in, this, in the pieces you write. Will you please respond? You could say shortest answer would be yes or no, although I probably am looking for something uh, longer than that. I will give you a short answer and a long answer. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I I agree with your uh, assessment, and I don't know if I always consciously – I don't consciously go out and pursue uh, noble underdogs, but uh, – I I like ideas. I like people who challenge conventional wisdom. I think that's interesting. Uh, they're not afraid to fight the the orthodoxy of their whatever profession it might be, and uh, they can articulate these things pretty well too, which is which is good for a, a writer and a journalist. So, yeah, I think they're really 
the fish swimming against the rest of the, uh, going in the opposite direction of the school is interesting. Why is he doing that? And when, if it's effective, it's even more interesting. Why aren't more of, more of the species engaged in this? Uh, so yeah, I mean, Batista's always been fascinating to me because of his late career breakout and his swing and his hitting style and, uh, just his intensity. I noticed in the comments how many fans hate him <laughs> that, have, that their teams have played against him. So he's just interested in a lot of ways. And, uh, yeah, JD too. Uh, as you mentioned, he felt aggrieved. He used some naughty words in expressing mm-hmm. that aggrievement. Yes, he did. And yeah. he, he's the passion about it. Uh, I, I don't always, I do like integrating players into stories. But I don't always like approaching them in clubhouses. I've always been something of an introvert, so I've had to overcome that to do this job. But I always, the worst part is just that awkward, uh, way to introduce yourself and ask them for, uh, ask for an interview request. I always hate that. But once you get going in a subject, uh, it's usually, it's usually pleasurable. And well, <laughs> Martinez had no interest in speaking with me, but once I told him why I was interested in speaking with him, he, he put down the cardboard box of his belongings described in the piece, and he was very willing to engage, very interested in engaging. And I find uh, maybe one reason I pursue these types of stories is because I feel like the, uh, these noble pursuits, uh, folks like Batista and Martinez are pursuing, they like to talk about them too, which, which is always nice. And uh, they need to get their story out there and... It's oh, it's a little more rewarding to tell stories that maybe need to be told or should be told or are interesting to tell. So maybe it'll, that's my longer answer, kind of meandering and rambling. No, no, the, yeah, but, there's uh, going to be a yes. lot of meandering in, in what's to follow. It I, I, it's interesting you bring this up. You know who um, it resonates with a comment that Carlos Asuaje, Padres prospect, former Red Sox prospect, came over. In the same trade, I believe that brought many Margot to Padres to the Padres. Although there have been a number of uh, deals between the two teams, and it doesn't matter. Carlos Asuaje is a member of the Padres now, and um, he, he was asked. Both he and Will Myers were asked by David Lorla about uh, about launch angle, among other things. And Carlos Asuaje's answer was particularly spirited. <laughs> it, it, it will know in the sense that he said. Um, he said that he, he regarded um, that he thought a lot about launch angle, and uh, he took a, a what I could say a, a, a respectable approach to it. Um, he said this. He said yes. I of course of course I look at the advanced metrics. This is my livelihood. This is how I get paid. Which I thought was a really interesting uh, approach to it. Yeah, that's a that's a solid answer. That's what you'd want to hear from someone, a paid employee of a baseball team. Uh, yeah, right. And yeah. I, and and my and I, I talked about it with Laura a little bit, and I mused, and I will muse, I will repeat, I will remuse here uh, that perhaps one of the reasons that he might have a more defined approach to this, not unlike JD Martinez and not unlike Jose Batista, uh, is that a Swahe is not a top prospect, right? And, right. And so th- he has to make a decision. Maybe maybe it's because he lacks loud physical tools. Maybe it's because for one reason or another he's he's been overlooked by uh, you know by baseball to some degree. Although it should be noted his numbers have always been really good. That he feels <clears throat> but once he makes a decision that he wants to be a player, uh, he has taken it seems he's, he's very serious about taking it, investigating every possible avenue to making that a success and and that sort of defiant attitude i was striking to me and i assumed it's one that you come across um well i mean there must be some of that in every player but but maybe Batista and martinez are particularly suited to this because they're guys who have experienced real failure at the major league level as well yeah no it's uh it's interesting that if you mentioned the loud tools, if you're a professional ball player who has not had the pedigree of a top 100 prospect ranking, if you've not been a uh, first round pick, 
if you've really had to fight and scratch for everything, for every advancement, then you're probably interested in every tool that could help you. So I guess in that way, it's not surprising. That quote is not surprising, and it should also maybe be less surprising that it is a player like J.D. Martinez who was putting together a sort of lackluster major league existence with the Astros, uh, that he started to really look around. at. uh, He became very curious while he was on the DL uh, as to what his teammate Jason Castro was doing with his swing. Uh, Jose Bautista, should for not perhaps not surprise us that he is looking for every way to improve performance and aid to his longevity since you know the pirates thought he was just a utility player at one point and he had to rebuild his his swing he had to at, when he went to toronto he became interested in uh the the, t- the top practices of the strength and conditioning staff there so i i guess i to some level maybe i identify with these people that have have to scrap for everything and uh, their interest in every tool available because they need every tool available to help them. Uh, and maybe we're not all we're not all professional ballplayers, which is quite obvious. But maybe there's something to to learn from these stories too, which can help people uh, in whatever they're doing with their their daily existences. So. I don't know, well, but yeah, yeah. I, I do find myself drawn to these stories. I, I suppose you're correct. Let's let's yeah, and I would say returning to the the idea of this as a commentary or companion companion track, companion audio track to the film. Uh, I I would like to ask one question uh, of a biographical nature about you. Is there any is there anything uh, for you? Is there any reason to which you can point, Travis Sachik, that might uh, that might uh, have piqued your interest in that in that general theme. Is there any reason why you might be interested in that particular thing, which is, in in particular, being drawn to stories about people who challenge orthodoxy, for example, right. or who, as you phrased it, uh, the fish that swims against the school. Right. Of. Uh, I don't you know. I don't know if I have a great answer for you, but I just – the person that does things differently and challenges things, there's a level of uh, courage that requires, I think, and that's always a trait worth exploring, I think. Uh, I've also always liked rooting for the underdog, maybe because I grew up following terrible Cleveland professional sports teams that were usually the underdog. I don't know why, but I have always liked – I've always rooted for the small market clubs. I've always been curious about why people – about that fish that swims up away from the in the opposite direction of his school. So I don't know if I have a great answer for you, but uh, I do think maybe exploring... I think Martinez is a bit courageous, and so is Bautista for what they've done in their, uh, their, their careers. I think other players would have not done that, and other players have had careers fizzle out because they weren't willing to ask why. Asking why is always an important question to ask. I think and that those guys have done it. Yeah. And uh there's been enormous rewards for that. From that. I think your point about courage is interesting uh, in that I and I I would tell you that I am guilty of uh, when I hear that word thinking of only maybe a, a sort of courage like a, the kind of valor that one earns from you know from participating in a in a particularly difficult military battle. Right, right. This is not the courage where you're leaping out of your World War One trench, yeah, walking in a nope. Not that kind of courage, right? Not that kind of courage. But it, it's a sort of, um, well, it's not necessarily an intellectual courage, but it is against. It, it is a question of going against the tides. Um, to, uh, and uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson has a quote to this effect. But it's something like, um, to, to abide. I think he says something to the effect of to abide by one's. Spontaneous repre- uh, pre- impressions, then most when the entire um, crowd of voices is on the other side. Uh, that's not the, exactly the quote, but I think it's from self-reliance. To abide by one's spontaneous impressions, then most when the entire cry of voices is on the other side. Does that sound like it could be something he said? Uh, Wrote he he or J.D. Martinez, perhaps? It, it's true. It would yes. have been a little bit filthier with J.D. Martinez. <laughs> That's right. To that point, I have to I have to say, 
Um, so, so obviously, well, you and I had a brief discussion about it, and, and I think Dave Cameron is involved in it. Uh, how many of uh, uh, how how many of the expletives uttered by J.D. Martinez ought to be included? And we, I think we included all of them, right? Um, you did. Because you did, yeah, and we're just reporting what he said. Um, right. And I think I saw maybe one of your former colleagues or someone you at least had known maybe from a, a local, maybe this, the, the regional sports network there in Pittsburgh had said uh, some of the effect of, uh, you know, Travis is not writing for newspapers anymore, so this is, you know, please read this. But I, I'm curious as to... How much editing around uh, expletives tends to go into newspaper writing? Uh, qu- quite a bit. Yeah, okay, all, the, all right. <laughs> uh, all the R-rated language is generally uh, ex- uh, taken out of a newspaper story, and uh, so I, I was even a little uncomfortable my first uh, my first instance, and when I was informed by. Uh, I believe it was yourself, Carson, that it was okay to quote players verbatim, yeah. ex- uh, naughty words included. Uh, it was sort of libera- liberating. And, hey, this is what actually happened and was said. Yeah. So, but I was also somewhat uncomfortable because I've been trained that this is a journalism is a family affair, and we don't want people to be offended or fall out of their chairs or. Or whatever, but <laughs> I, I I do think the the added value is it shows the maybe passion and frustration of Martinez, or maybe he just speaks like a sailor in general. And you know, clubhouse I'm sure is often uh, well, sh- our language is floating around. But I think in this case, yeah, it also spoke to a guy who was so frustrated with traditional thinking, conventional thinking, and maybe I was holding him up from something too. I don't know, but. Yeah, something came out. He does not like uh, ground balls. No, he does he not. Doesn't. He does not care for them one bit. Yeah, right. And uh, just off the top of your head, where, where do you think his uh, ground ball rating? Or his, he, he ranked according to ground ball rate last year. Where he ranked? Yeah. Uh, I don't want to. Well, he certainly was not uh, an extreme ground ball hitter. No. I don't think he he was an extreme. Well, he's increased his fly ball rate. I don't think he's an ex- he's in the top tier of fly ball hitters either. I think what he's done is made a lot more quality contact. Uh, I don't know, but if you have the answer in front of you, I'd be curious to learn. Yeah, that's right. Well, do you think, first of all, do we think he was a qualified batter last year? I, th- hmm. I don't know. That, uh, I'm not sure. Yeah. I thought he was. Well, it, well, well. So, so two points about him. Um, one of them is this is that uh, I did not know that his batting average in balls in play was so high. It's something. It's like 360 over the last three years. Yeah, look at that. 384, or wait, no. That was his, uh, 378 last year. Right, it's... Hum- it was 339, 389. It's, right, it's huge. And it, which, you know, and a thing that happens to, to players who uh, hit fly balls with some frequency is that in addition to the extra home runs they hit or extra, extra base hits, they also uh, frequently have... Uh, their batted balls are caught more often because they're in the air, right? Um, and so you do. So not as many of them become hits. But uh, like that—that's always been the case. For example, with like Ian Kinsler, I think, who does not hit a lot of balls in the ground, um, has especially for a middle infielder. Has he always hit a lot of home runs, or generally hit a lot of home runs? Um, but he did not. Um, but that's not the case with Jimmy. He's just—he's just hitting the ball really hard. Yeah, if you look at his his hard hit percentage, yeah. his uh, from Houston to Detroit, it's increased by about twenty five percent, roughly. So, well, he's hitting more balls in the air, but what he's really doing is just hitting balls with much more uh, with much more authority. He's hitting them squarely more often, and really, he's probably he's getting on playing with the pitch more often. I, I think is what's happening. Uh, the, yeah, I mean it's it's a three year trend of he's just stinging the ball with, after these uh, mechanical changes. The the other thing, um, I guess the the other thing that interested me about uh, Martinez's language with you, and I'm not sure if 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 it was the same for you when you were a writer for a newspaper as it is now, but and I and I guess it it wasn't just the the fact that he was using naughty words; it was the fact maybe that he was using them with a writer. 
um, because, uh, at least from my limited experience, there there is always maybe some reluctance among players to fully reveal themselves to uh, to journalists um, because the returns on that particular investment are not very strong for players if, if they speak out of turn, right? Right. Um, but in this particular case, he did not seem to exhibit any any. Uh, uh, he was not shy around you, I guess, is the thing to say. And I'm wondering if that <clears> – <throat> do you think it was some – I mean, is that is it markedly different than exchanges you would have had for the years that you were covering the Pirates? <laughs> uh, a little bit. I mean, maybe uh, one concern I had is perhaps he thought I would follow the etiquette of – uh, the Detroit beat writers who write for newspapers or MLB.com, and that language would be uh, extracted from their final versions of their stories. Yeah. Uh, I thought maybe that could be what he's thinking. So you'd be surprised to see him so quoted verbatim. Uh, so was, that was one concern I had, but uh, I guess it's somewhat interesting he would use spicy language but maybe that's just the matter in which he speaks or maybe that's just how much how frustrated he is and yeah. uh, some people use that language when they slam their hand in a door and he thinks about ground balls and that's the the kind of language that is that comes to mind i don't i don't know or maybe i just have this ability to make people feel very comfortable within five minutes after meeting them yeah but I, I don't i don't think that's it Let's uh, let me ask you another question. Let's, let's uh, if we can get dark uh, uh, briefly. You uh, you wrote an article recently uh, regarding uh, the Atlanta Braves, in particular, uh, in particular Max Fried, uh, yes, who is a yes a left-hander in their organization, uh, who was highly sought. I think he was actually a teammate of. Uh, Lucas Giolito's at Harvard-Westlake. Does that sound right? High school in California? Yeah, Freed was the number two starter in his high school team. I right, think. and then <laughs> he was a number two starter in his high school team and then was the number seven – was the seventh overall. <laughs> right. A good high school team, one imagines. If you would hope so. Yeah. If, I mean, if – yeah, if that coach – I hope they had a nice postseason run. Yeah. What What was striking about this piece? Now, you were you, – you, you use Freed as a sort of um, – Entry point into a discussion of Atlanta's th- their strategy with pitchers, uh, which yes. is to acquire a lot of them. And one of the one of the one of the striking quotes in there, just for its raw look at, uh, at a dark part of the profession. And you, you were essentially you were citing a piece that you'd written for the Trib a couple years ago, uh, a conversation you had with John Hart. John Hart. This is this is verbatim from your piece. Uh, a truism is if you have ten pitchers, in, in other words, you can uh, you can really count on two of them making it. Hart said, "I came up in the 1980s and never believed it. I said, come on, there can't be that much attrition. Then bang, this guy gets hurt. This guy doesn't develop a third pitch. You can never have enough pitching. But that that truism, that rule of thumb, the fact that that eight out of ten guys." are falling by the wayside. And I, I assume he doesn't necessarily mean – he's not accounting for, like, the 40th round draft pick in there, right? He is talking – Right, about, I, don't, I don't think so, yeah. Probably guys you would consider the early round picks. Right. Uh, yeah, single-digit round selections, I, I would assume. Right. Uh, and so so he's a, so he is aware of this. And then you have to assume that some of these pitchers are. Uh, I guess – I don't know. Were you, were you struck by that when, when he first – uttered that to you that just this um this this cold rational look at the fact that uh, eight out of every ten pitchers dreams are dashed <laughs> uh yeah it was a it's a strong quote uh and i miss john hart working in as a media person because he was i always enjoyed speaking with him because you could extract good quotes from him but uh yeah it was a little surprising and that story i was working on a couple years ago was about the uh the Pirates had made this historic commitment to prep arms in the draft. I think it was the 0, 2008 to drafts. And they were just, uh, it was like 70% of their top 10 round selections were pitchers or high school pitchers. So it was really interesting that they were putting so much investment, uh, in this highly volatile type of, uh, 
investment. So yeah, I mean it was a cold hard look, and I think the the facts bear it out. And what's interesting is now he's doing the same thing in in Atlanta. So, uh, which shows you the value of the the one or two out of ten guys that do make it. Uh, and Hart doesn't know if the group of arms he's selecting are going to become the Generation K Mets of the early '90s, the the Pulsivers and Isringhausens and Wilsons that never really made it, unless you count Isringhausen uh, succeeding as a relief. Pe- Relief pitcher success, right. or are they going to be like the current Mets, where Syndergaard and Degrom and uh, Harvey at times, uh, Mats? They look like this could be a, a pretty good rotation for a while. So he doesn't know what he has, but he, even knowing those odds, he's still willing to take this risk and employ the strategy because of the uh, the value of a pre-arbitration ace or even just a pre-arbitration quality uh, rotation piece. So. Well, it's interesting that you cite the Mets, too, because, uh, I mean, I think that probably, for example, in the case of Noah Syndergaard, his physical abilities are conspicuous. What else that team has done is to seemingly uh, develop with some aplomb uh, certain pitchers who, just given their pedigree, one wouldn't have expected to develop into real major leaguers, in particular with Jacob deGrom and it very much seems with Robert Kesselman as well. Um, I mean, if nothing else, based off of the appearances that Kesselman made last year where he was sitting, you know, at 93, 94 miles per hour frequently with a, with a moving fastball, not a straight fastball, a, a fastball with a lot of bore, and um, that more than, like, the, the sort of signature slider that those pitchers throw. Even if you just base it on that, it's unusual to, to see that from someone who's taken in the 13th round I think it was those are those guys are of particular interest and it, 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 it brings up another question which is one that I know when speaking with Dave Cameron that I've at, we, we've discussed to some degree with regard to the Cardinals uh, is it a question of is it a question of development drafting or development right because of course the Cardinals have had a lot of late round picks who have nevertheless become productive major leaguers um, right uh yeah, I don't think we pay enough attention, or we give enough, put enough focus on the development part of the equation. We uh, we focus so much on draft history, and did this team make a smart selection? <laughs> we sort of ignore the rest of the process often. Uh, I know some GMs get frustrated because they don't feel like their development staffs get enough credit in the press. And yeah, development's a huge part of it, uh, and it it can swing fortunes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would love to, I would just say, just say, I would, I would love to, cause you, you seem to be the, the, um, given your, your various skills as a writer, you would seem to be uniquely situated to be able to explore that. So if you're ever able to, uh, delve into that, obviously, and, and you mentioned that, that, um, maybe, uh, development staffs don't receive enough attention, Part of that is is because it's uh, it's inside of a black box a little bit in some cases, right? Yeah, I guess the catch twenty two is uh, clubs maybe don't feel that their guys get enough attention, but they also don't want them getting attention <laughs> yeah. if they think they're doing something uh, well. It's behind the curtain; no one sees it. Uh, we all see the games on the field. We all know the draft history, but we don't know the methods that are taking place. So that's one area in the game uh, where teams can maybe. Uh, better create a competitive advantage that could be long-lasting, perhaps what the Cardinals have done behind closed doors because it's not as visible. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, it's an interesting point and subject, and maybe it is something we should uh, we should explore a little bit more in Fangraphs. Yeah, well, I would, I would, I would certainly read anything you wrote about that. I mean, be, uh, in part because I'm contractually obligated to do so. <laughs> uh, because then publish it. But but I would, uh, I would do it with great interest, is my point. The... Um, but back to this point by uh, by Hart, um, the now of course you cite you know the number he says is two out of ten, but it's also harrowing. It's harrowing in a mundane way, I suppose, how Atlanta has approached this, uh, the, the reality of of that uh, fraction or that ratio, where um, as you note, their uh, the drafting by Atlanta in recent years. Is a testament to the to that numbers game, 
You say all three of the Braves' uh, first-round picks during the Hart regime have been high school pitchers. Uh, Twelve yes. of their first fourteen pick. Twelve of their first fourteen picks in 2015 were pitchers, and seven of their first eight picks uh, last year were pitchers. So that is uh, 22 picks total, and 19 of them were pitchers. That, that seems like there's a systematic uh, process. There's some sort of strategy being mm-hmm. implemented, right? I mean, it's not just. Oh, all these guys are the top guy on our board. I can't believe that. Uh, it seems like, no, they want a certain kind of player, and they know the risk inherent with this player, but they also they want to bet on the reward. And you wonder if, I think the Pirates were guilty of a little uh, hubris, where they thought maybe they could beat those attrition odds and maybe get 3 out of 10. But history suggests that, yeah. If you if you do believe you can get through out of ten, uh, you're getting too close to the sun, mm-hmm. and those waxy wings are going to become quite unstable. So that uh, you shouldn't bet on doing that. Uh, I think one other Hart quote I used in a story in the past, and including that piece, is uh, he doesn't want to. He doesn't believe in targeting or paying for uh, age thirty plus pitching. He 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 thinks clubs should. You want those age 20 seasons, which, I, you know, you look at an aging curve, and of course that's true. Uh, but even being in a little larger market in, I guess, is Atlanta a larger market anymore? I don't, I'm not sure what their uh, their TV contract situation is right now, but. I think in terms of sheer population it would be, but. Sheer population they are. Yeah. Uh, it's not always a yeah, perfect so, correlation, though. So, so what's interesting, too, to me is that he's not following the Cubs approach of let's load up on the safer position player prospects with premium picks and uh we'll fill in pitching voids with our our uh financial reserves or uh, resources uh he's taking an opposite approach of uh no well we want to try to get that that incredible value that comes from a pre-arbitration starting pitcher or top of the rotation pitcher and uh, we'll use our resources elsewhere so uh yeah i don't know it's it's really interesting do you think that the Players, you, you you cite some names like Kobe All- Colby Allard, uh, Mike Soroka or Soroka. I apologize, I don't know how to say that. Ian Anderson, Sean Newcomb. I think Sean Newcomb they received from uh, the the Angels, right? Was yeah, he in right. the, this the the Simmons trade? I think. Yeah, Maybe. precisely. Yeah, I believe that is true. Uh, do you have a sense that, uh, or these night the nineteen out of the twenty two picks? You get a sense that they're all in the room together. They look around, and they're aware of it. Or do you think that there's and I think you and I have discussed this before, too, the sort of natural, if um, irrational optimism of the top athlete who's always willing to bet on himself. I think that is a large part of it. Because if they if they were looking at it uh, rationally, logically, they would not be buying uh, new cars. They would, after their signing bonus, they would be driving around in a used Honda Civic. Yeah. And they'd buy grave uh, not, plots, maybe. Those are, would, those are more expensive than you, than you imagine. <laughs> they would buy their produce at Aldi mm-hmm. and they would be, they would be much more frugal. And they're not. And, uh, maybe it's a product of being young, but it's also a product, I suppose, of feeling invincible. And, you know, as we were discussing a little bit before we started recording, you know, why do people play the lottery? Uh, maybe the odds are astronomical uh, against you in playing, but maybe they don't look at it as a 1 out of 10 or 2 out of 10. They look at it as a yes or no, I'll succeed. It's a binary, uh, a coin flip situation. Uh, that's how their mind works out this question, works out that probability, and that's why they spend their signing bonus on a... Uh, a new large pickup truck or something. I don't know. Hey, but. do uh, I asked Cameron this? He didn't. He, he pretended to know, but I don't think he knows. Uh, <laughs> do, do you? He does that a lot. Do, do you know if? Well, because I had read somewhere, um, and it was in it was in the the liberal media, so it was, it was probably wrong. But um, there was some suggestion that before the uh, the Affordable Care Act, that certain professions as a group. Uh, were regarded as pre-existing conditions. Like I remember air traffic controller, for example. So if someone were an air traffic controller, uh, he or she 
either A, would not be able to get health insurance at all, or B, would pay a, a higher premium simply based off of the profession. Ah, interesting. Do you know if baseball players, do you know what their health, What do they have health care? Do they have health insurance? Health insurance that would cover a, uh, is like a, a Tommy John surgery or something. Well, I assume that the, the team covers that uh, in most cases. I, I think. Yeah, but what about like, um, like, oh, I gotta get my thyroid checked out. I gotta get, I gotta get blood work done yeah. on my thyroid. I think they do have health insurance. Yeah, but wh- yeah. where does it come from? Is it just a? Yeah. It's a like an employer supplied plan. Yeah. You know, I, I can't say for sure, and, I, but I think I think they do have health insurance, and they have, of course, uh, they. They buy, they can buy insurance policies to cover uh, loss of use of their ability. Uh, as we see, uh, college football players sometimes do in case they're injured. Oh yeah, uh, that's that sort of thing. So they can buy those sorts of plans individually, I believe. Uh, so in that case, every pitcher should. <laughs> every pitcher should be, right, 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 right. Yeah, that seems uh, really smart. Huh? You know what? We might have a store idea. Well, I'd be interested in how insurance works, like the both types, the just typical like run-of-the-mill health insurance policy. Like you give, I imagine they do a lot of work with team doctors. There are always talks about team doctors, right? So those guys are around. I assume that many players, especially during the regular season, are treated in that capacity. The other sort of thing you're talking about, the other sort of insurance policy, where you essentially insuring against the risk of injury. Right. Uh, to what degree those exist? How how ubiquitous are those? And is it maybe? I assume that at some level the agent is the one who steps in and says, "Well, you might want to do this." Mm. Right. I, I know teams protect themselves with insurance against uh, pitchers, yeah, yeah. Uh, especially high, high dollar contracts. So, you know what? You might be onto something. Hey, you might be looking at some clicks with this. You know, nothing <laughs> gets clicks like insurance articles on the baseball website, <laughs> Travis. Do you see the amount of clicks we get? Uh, I have. Capa- I think I have the capacity yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah. I mostly would a, would a story like that get a lot of traffic or not really. It depends. Depends how you phrase the title, I guess. I think a lot of us do the title and image, and you know the image you use the feed the poll quote. Yes. Yes. Which I did. What I didn't I do? I used the. I included the. Uh, oh man, I really screwed up yesterday. I screwed up two of them. Including one of you, you're only one man. Yeah, I know. I, well, no, I'm like three quarters of a man. That's the problem. <laughs> does a Dylan Thomas uh, line get? To, does that drive traffic? I think it. If you, if you, I think from be, the Welsh Welsh poet Dylan Thomas, does that? If you include that in a headline, does that generate traffic? Well, you use that, of course, for Jose Bautista. He's raging against the dying light. <laughs> yeah, right. he certainly is. For some people, well, I can I, t- I can tell you, I looked at that one, and we got we got huge traffic from Wales. <laughs> <laughs> so you really, you, we're getting, a, yeah, we, you're helping our Welsh market, which well. is at least like I don't know, fifteen thousand people living in Wales. <laughs> so that's good. Yeah, that's good. Uh, okay, so you could you go look up healthcare. Um, I'm gonna look up healthcare. Uh, oh. The point about courage, I wanted to mention something else about courage. I would like you to elaborate on that idea. Yeah. Because this is where I think courage comes into play with Batista or Martinez, is that they risk alienating themselves against the coaches they work with or are supposed to work with on a daily basis, uh, maybe some teammates, maybe the organization by going outside and working with uh, independent coaches. I know that can be frowned upon. Uh, in some professions and athletic endeavors to to not trust the people the organization's employing. So and they're also risking their uh and in that in that sense they're risking their status with the club should they struggle. So I think that's where the, the courage comes in with uh at least at one in one capacity. That's where it comes into play with those players. So I forgot to mention that earlier, but it it, it came to mind so I wanted to uh to include that for posterity in this podcast. Yeah, that's great. I'm glad you did that. Um, and the aliens who are listening a thousand years from now also appreciate it. Um, it well, you, you mentioned it too, and I imagine that's that's sort of when when uh, Jose Batista or J.D. Martinez 
when a player like that is weighing the pros and the cons, there is, and this goes back to the Aswahe quote too, right? Where he says, this is how I make my money. When that, when that money, when that, when the, when the prospect of um, having to leave the game uh, is, becomes more real to a player than I assume the notion of alienating anyone else uh, becomes uh, a less um, uh, becomes less daunting because you say, well, if I don't make this, if, if I don't change something, then I will not be, I won't have anyone to alienate because I will not be in the game, <laughs> right? So there, there's a bit of a, there's a bit of a arithmetic that it has to occur, right? Where you say, uh, where where if the if the um, outcome, if the, if the possible unwelcome outcome uh, seems probable enough, then I assume that the actor, in this case Martinez or Batista, uh, is willing to go further uh, with some with some, you know, asking questions like that. Uh, yeah, I th- that is true. Uh, these guys were getting close to. Uh, maybe they felt they were getting close to the end of the line, so the incentive to try something else. Uh, radical uh, that that increased the the barriers to uh, testing something that ran contrary to conventional wisdom were, were reduced. So that is true, but I do still think it takes uh, a bit of courage to go against the, <laughs> the people you that are supposed to be helping you within the clubhouse, uh, uh, going against what they might be saying. Uh, yeah. I was going to ask you with regard to, um, obviously, a lot of the writing that appears in the site takes for, well, it, it's, I think it takes for granted that a lot of us come to the game as fans of a particular team, right? I think that you, you as a, uh, as a modest Ohioan, you, you That's came right. to, to the game uh, by way of the Cleveland Indians, right? That is true. Yeah, I I came to the game uh, because of the Boston Red Sox um, as a young New Englander, and uh, so we even if you transcend the, the idea of Tim allegiance, I feel like that way of approaching the game to say like, oh, did the team make a good decision, or did the team, you know, is maybe is the team overpaying a player or something like that? And, and that's actually an example that sort of. Makes sense with um, the question I'm going to ask, uh, in particular with regard to a piece you wrote recently about Scott Boris. Now, Scott Boris has made a habit now of circumventing front offices. Yes. Going directly to owners like, uh, is it uh, the owner? Uh, well, Mike Yelich. Uh, in the t- for the Mike Yelich and, Tigers. and uh, was it Lerner in Washington? Right, Lerner, yeah, Lerner in Washington. Um, in the most recent example, which was the Matt Weider signing, it seems um, the Nationals right. signed a catcher after having signed a catcher who's roughly as good, <laughs> and then having a backup who was fine. Yeah, what, what the hell is going on here? Yeah. Oh, it's Scott Boris. It's Scott, Scott Boris. Now, <clears throat> if I certainly if I'm a Nationals fan, if that's the way that I interact with the game mostly, I think well, what this is stupid, right? This is stupid. Right. Why is my team doing this? I don't. I don't really trust that the team is operating at the, at the height of its intellect. Um, <laughs> but <clears throat> if I'm cheering for, but the teams have millions of dollars. The owners have millions of have lots of money, right? And you know, if if you or I were in the game, we would not be. Well, we're not in the game in any capacity. But we would not be the people who were born wealthy. In theory, we were the people who would be becoming wealthy because of the skill we had for playing the game. So at a certain level, what Scott, Scott Boris is like Robin Hood, right? <laughs> he's, he's fighting, he's uh, re- redistributing wealth from, from the, the owners uh, to, to the players. He is trying his, he's try, he's trying his darndest yeah, to he is. distribute wealth. He, he's, he's doing a pretty good job at it. Do, do you ever think – do you think there's a way of viewing the game? Do you think there's a future for viewing the game where as maybe some 
fans. So, so I think some of our readers are there, where they are they're essentially past team allegiance, where where people start uh, forming allegiances to the agents, the Robin Hoods, <laughs> and there's covered. I mean, Scott, you know, Scott Boris is one of the few agents whose name I can produce. There are a number of other agents whose names I recognize once I see them. But I would say I probably know more umpires' names than I do agents. <laughs> um, yeah, probably, um, I'm sure most fans uh, yeah, are probably know more umpires' names than agents, which says quite a bit about what Scott Boris has done in his career. Right, but agents are the, but agents are the ones who are responsible for extracting these dollars because it doesn't see, always seem as though, as you've noted, I think, it doesn't always seem as though the players' union is uh, do, attempting to do that for everyone necessarily. Right. Yeah, I think. Right. It's, I think the union uh, could be doing a better job to to try to better redistribute wealth and uh, better accumulate some wealth for for their membership. Do you do you foresee a future though in which uh, there's an allegiance to, or, there's, or maybe there's a more thorough coverage of agents and their goings on? Of. Uh, I'm sad to say that I don't. <laughs> I don't see that. <laughs> uh, yeah, even though you, I mean, yes, and some through uh, the lens you're presenting, you should look at Scott Boris as a admirable, noble person who's uh, in the Sherwood Forest of baseball, mm-hmm. stealing uh, stealing money from the wealthy and giving it to the to the less wealthy, the slightly less uh, wealthy. I mean, yeah, yeah, you know, still doing fine. <laughs> Um, he's sort of he, he's stealing from one gated community with taller walls and giving it to another one. But yes, uh, in relative terms, he's uh, distributing wealth to the more needy, so he should be celebrated. But the, I, don't, I feel like the majority of the uh, the public doesn't value uh, the agents, uh, the the profession. They they see it as sort of. Uh, I don't want to say dishonorable, but uh, they're not adding the value that a, that a player is. They're just they're getting a they landed into a nice job that pays very well for maybe that's uh, not uh, it's not they're paid out of <laughs> they're, they're, they're making something they're not owed. I don't I don't know uh, I don't know. I just feel like the the agent industry is not. Well regarded by the public. I could be wrong. Well, it probably doesn't seem parasitic. Do you think uh, that could be part of it? You know, they yeah. they they latch on because they, you know, obviously they're extracting what a certain percentage of the of a salary. So that's their that's they their. They seem focus. like maybe they seem like opportunists. Mm. Perhaps they. Uh, why would you acquire a law degree to represent? Uh, Millionaire, millionaire athletes. Where is the uh, the public good there? I don't know. Maybe that's how people look at it. Uh, I how do you look at it? How many agents? How many agents' names do you know off the top of your head? We could play a game, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't. A few dozen, maybe, but maybe that's even high. I, I bet Ken Rosenthal knows every agent in the game. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> or, or, uh, or John Heyman. Uh, but I do think agents, and this is a slightly different tangent, but I do think agents uh, have a are at a difficult place where player value is, at least at the major league level, player value is so well understood. Uh, how do you negotiate uh, for a client when the, the team has its value boiled down to X amount of wins above replacement. They have an aging model, a projection model. Many are similar. Where are you adding value for your client? What's even the purpose of an agent? If we know that one win above replacement is worth eight and a half million dollars, so we're, what are they doing exactly? And I think that's why, in part, we're seeing Scott Boris circumvent front offices uh, because they are acting rationally. They're not going to. Sp- spend irrationally. That's why we're seeing uh, Cespedes' agents, and I can't even think of their names. I, I should know them. Uh, we saw them try to be creative and quantify the value of 
uh, Cespedes's appearance in media on the back page of New York tabloids, that sort of thing. So we're seeing some agents become more creative to add value. Uh, I know I've drifted away from your initial point of view. No, inquiry, no, no, but I like the, but, I like the, uh, the course of uh, the, this line of thinking, though. But I do think agents are probably uh, underappreciated by the public, and I think their jobs have become more difficult. Uh, but I don't think they're. I don't think they're. They garner much respect from the public, or, or even we in the media. You could create a metric, perhaps, for evaluating the abilities of an agent. Actually, I think you could. I think it would not be that difficult. Um, or at least on an individual level, right? I could look at Matt Weider's war projection for next year, right? He's projected by our depth charts to uh, to produce 1.4 million. Yes. If I estimate that a win is worth, let's say, 8 million, I think it was up to 8.5. It seemed like at some point, but maybe it's down to 8. Maybe I'll do 8.25. How about, okay. So if I do uh, 1 and then... Point four wins times eight point two five million. I would expect him to get paid eleven point five million. Okay. 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 Uh, but he's signed a deal for. Well, he signed a deal only f- for ten point five million. So in a sense, uh, maybe Scott Boris lost him a million dollars. And half that is apparently deferred. Right. Uh, so yeah, maybe Nationals love to defer that money. So so I would look at. Um, so I would say he was supposed to get 11.5. He only got 10.5, right? Um, so what I do is I subtract 10.5 from 11.5. Um, I divide it by the original amount that I thought he was going to get. Um, anyway, yeah, just 11.5. And then I, and I could say at what percent he was under. He was 9% under what it was expected. So it's negative. So he has a 91 Scott Boris gets a 91 S or Sal plus, which is salary plus. <laughs> right? Is it, I don't know. And Well, of course, there was a second year, so maybe you could say yeah, well, someone with Weeders. He's, he's 9% below league average. He's 9% point. below average. Yeah. I mean, isn't he? If you, that you say, as you say, that one of the problems is that teams have, um, you know, I mean, they have sophisticated means of projecting performance. Yes. So they understand how much they should pay a player. But the agent, his responsibility, you know, sort of like an advertising, an advertiser's responsibility is to distort distort the value of a product, right? Right. For the benefit of the people who are selling that product. Um, you know, it's... I mean, that, that's what an agent... Yeah, that's... that's a, you've perfectly articulated an agent's... Uh, objective. What, yeah, and, his... and Boris has done that very well over his entire career. Uh, and he's, I think, uh, that's been recounted in uh, Diamond Dollars, I, th- I think, mm-hmm. uh, about how Boris is, relative to other agents, he generally gets more dollars for his client than he should compared to other comparable clients. Or players represented by other agents. Although maybe not in but, the case of Matt Weeders, we've decided. But, but that, but things have changed. Front offices are more analytical, acting perhaps more rationally. So, it's Boris's job has become more difficult, and I think Weeders is exhibit A of this. As you know, his value has been dinged because he's not a very good receiver, and we all know that uh, pitch framing is very much valued in the game today. And we saw teams are are valuing that because Weeders is still uh, he, he throw, he's very good at throwing out runners. He's got a big arm, and while his bat has not developed as we predicted back when some of us thought he was Joe Maurer with with power, that mm-hmm. has, hasn't happened. He's still uh, for a catcher. I mean, he's not going to kill you offensively. Uh, so yeah, it's it's. I think Weeders was a fascinating story, uh, showing the limits of Boris's powers when negotiating with uh, data-savvy data front offices. And even when he went around ownership, or went around front offices plausibly to just negotiate directly with an owner, uh, a Boris-friendly owner, he still wasn't able to do very well for his client. Uh, so that's pretty fascinating. I would be interested to see. I would like to see someone put together Sal Plus. 
you know, if we split this among the whole Fangraphs team, you, uh, you, you start with uh, the top of the alphabet. I'll start with the bottom. You know who would, are, you know who could do it is uh, well who would do something like it. Craig Edwards does a lot of posts on uh, on this. And and again, we like might, we frequently frame it in terms of which players are overpaid or not. Uh, and like Dave Cameron, you know, like he'll he writes posts on free agent gold mines and free agent landmines. And he says, I, if, if you sign this player, I, I mean, who who deserves? Is it that is it that the Colorado Rockies? Is it that they overpaid Ian Desmond, or is it that Ian Desmond's agent somehow effectively argued a case? <laughs> Can we calculate the uh, the what did you term your metric you just created? Sal plus, um, like salary. Sal plus. Yeah. Yeah. Sal plus. Can you can we create that for Ian Desmond? I think we could do it for. Uh, yeah. Well, I don't know. Let's we see. we would need a we would need a five year projection. Do we have a five year zips projection? I'm sure, I'm sure that's. Uh, let's see. Or I, maybe I, this could wait for for the next episode. Yeah, I'm sure that uh, that Craig Craig Everett has done it. But yeah, you'd be looking at. You'd be looking at it. Let's see. Yeah. I don't know who a specific agent is. Uh, on his baseball reference page, he's represented by Sports One Athlete Management, so he might have multiple people well, I think he actually is now working on client. his behalf. I think he's now a client of CAA. That was announced in oh, November okay. of 2016. Well, this, is, this page needs to be updated. He was with Sports One, is now a member of CAA. Um. But he's getting. I mean, we could do it for. Let's see, we can do we can do it for this next year, right? He's supposed to get. Let's see, he's projected for one point five wins. One point five wins. That's not very good. That's, that's not terrible, but it's not very good. So one point five times. We'll do eight point two five again. So he should get uh, twelve point three eight million for that, right? Uh, but instead, for the year twenty seventeen, well, he'll be getting eight million. So he, so that's so, uh, but this he, is a weird contract. It jumps to twenty two million next year, or yeah, eighteen. You'd, you'd have to probably figure out the average annual value. Yeah. What is it? Seventy divided by five. Which is about, what is that? Twelve. It's about four. No. It's about fourteen. 14. So he'll 14. be so fourteen divided by twelve point three eight is um, no. Is this something I did wrong? Fourteen divided by twelve point three eight. Equals so thirteen percent over what he would have been expected. So that's oh. one thirteen. plus of one thirteen. South plus, yeah. But uh, <laughs> well, I don't know. It's such a dumb thing that I'm doing. But it's uh, you, you can figure. Out. I think probably one of the uh, impediments against which you find yourself working is the yeah is how to account for various. Um, I suspect you're going to be a guest on MLB Now and with Brian Kenny pretty soon, Carson. Yeah, discussing Sal Plus. This is actually being uh, this is being simulcast with with (laughs) Brian Kenny. He's been listening on mute the whole time. (laughs) Brian, come out behind your come out behind the cloak, Brian. Well, this is uh, this is all planned. Yeah, but no, wonderful. I mean, it's not often you create a new metric live on uh, a simulcast. Yeah. So, well know. done. Yeah, uh, we'll see. We'll see how. We'll see if it works out, buddy. <laughs> hey, listen, we hit the century mark in terms of minutos, and you also have to go. You have an obligation. What kind of obligation do you have? Is it a secret obligation? Um, I'd actually like to go to the beach. That's <laughs> kind of a personal. Uh, oh yeah. fulfill, It's a personal fulfillment. Well, you go to the beach at night. Well, the sun. It's not. It's not dusk here, so can oh. go out there and look at the golf and reflect upon what I'm doing in life, and then return to my accommodations. So, is your is, it, is this is your wife back at home then, taking care of your son? Uh, she is actually. My mother-in-law flew up to to help my wife out. Oh, okay. This week, yeah. Okay, so I was just wondering I, what that conversation was like. I'm going to go hang on beautiful Florida while you spend time <laughs> here with a child. There's been a beautiful recent snowfall, so up there. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we got some Back snow yesterday and today, and guess what? Tuesday, twelve inches were, were projected for up here. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm. Maine is beautiful. 
It really is. Your fascination with Maine fascinates me. <laughs> we got like a little uh, Othros type character I, it, eating yeah, his tail. I, I, <laughs> is that what it is? Othros? I am fascinated by Maine. It's all tucked away in the corner. It's so cold and the people seem so friendly. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that, well, that was what I didn't understand. You, you, you did, well, you, it's funny that you, you think it's tucked in the corner. That's, that's why it interests you, because it's way up there. <laughs> way up there. Yeah. Are, are you familiar with its location? It's way yeah, up yeah, there. Yeah, 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 I know where it is. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> one corner. That's a good point, yeah. It's, it's way up there. All right. That's fine. Hey, well, uh, you fulfilled your obligation, uh, Travis Sawchuk. Thank you. Thank you. All right, well, stick around for one second, but in the meantime, I will say... Uh, that has been Travis Sotrick, uh, the prolific Tra- Travis Sotrick, contributor to Fangraphs.com. I'm Carson Sestouli. This has been Fangraphs Audio.